0: Uh, so we're in a series at the moment uh, called Elementary, and we're diving into a short passage of scripture from Hebrews that outlines for us some elementary truths. Uh, um, you, if I can get my PowerPoint up, it'll just run through uh, where we've been so far for us, that'd be great. And we've been using that as a launch page in, into some of the big themes, the elementary themes, the foundational truths. Uh, so we're going to uh, just quickly revisit Hebrews chapter 6, uh, and then if you are following along, j- jump with me then to Colossians chapter 2. So the writer there to the uh, the Hebrews is talking about growth. He's talking about moving on from elementary from fundamental building block truths. Uh, and there he describes them in this way. The elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation uh, of repentance from acts that lead to death. We started our series didn't we thinking about turn uh, that actually, we have a a gift, a gift of repentance. But we can change, we can transform, we can choose in Jesus' power uh, to move away from accidentally to death. Uh, of faith in God, that was last Sunday, thinking about our trust. Uh, that faith is not a collection of, uh, of beliefs, it's not a description uh, of a religion. It's an active thing, it's a trusting, it's a clinging, it's a holding on. And this morning we're coming on to this one, instructions about baptisms. So it's turn... It's trust, and then the third step, the third truth uh, is taking the plunge. Um, Yuri, am I, am I, work, ah, I think that needs to be plugged in. Thank you. We're doing well this morning. Bear with us, bear with us. Which is just going to lay hands on the laptop at the back, Perfect timing. So we will be thinking uh, about prayer in a couple of weeks' time and the laying on of hands in that ministry uh, that is there in the New Testament and there for us as well. Uh, and then he talks about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, about life after death. But this morning, we're going to be focusing uh, on uh, baptism. So jump with me to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up at verse 6, Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's just pray as we come to the Scripture today. Lord, open our hearts today. Open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to see you. Open our lives, God, to your presence. And I pray, Father, as we open your word today, Holy Spirit, would you draw near and just minister these words to our lives. It's so important to us that you speak because we can't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. We thank you, Lord, that we have a God from whose mouth words are proceeding, that you are a God who speaks. And where we listen, we're fed. Where we believe, we're nourished. And where we act, we grow. And Lord, we hunger for that. So would you meet with us here now, we pray. And speak to us afresh today, in in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Quick question this morning. How many people here can drive? How many people here passed their driving test on their first time? Look at the smug looks on all of your faces, honestly. How many people passed on their second time? Okay. How many people passed on their third time? Okay, a few of us, yeah? Good, I, I feel your pain, brother, sister. I feel, feel your pain. Anyone more than that? They do tell us that the people who take longer to pass their tests are better drivers. It's what we tell ourselves if it took us <laughs> ages to, to pass our test. I remember trying to learn to drive and for whatever reason really struggling with it and getting really frustrated because it seemed like everybody else was just flying through it. Did this, did this something to you as well? It was really frustrating not to be able to get it. I've never been, as you can imagine, a hugely coordinated person. And it, it was just the process of trying to put it all together. It just it didn't seem to work. And uh, I remember sitting there one time with my very patient driving instructor, who was part driving instructor and part teenage counselor, I think, bless him, and, and just saying, this is impossible. I, c- I cannot pass this test. And rather patiently, he'd smile and say, you're finding it difficult. And I said, no, no, it's, it is impossible. to. P- I cannot do this. And he said, many people have sat where you've sat and have told me the same thing and have failed. And eventually, you, you will pass. And that little shift from this is impossible, I am never going to do this, to you're finding it difficult, was a massive shift for me. I don't know about you, but it strikes me in our lives that the thoughts that we have can become very defining, can't they? A thought, an idea, a a quote, a phrase that we use. It can either be like a key that unlocks something for us, or it can become like bars that come around us. And as we grow, as we get older, those bars become very real. We tell ourselves things like, I can never do that. Or I will always feel this way. Or this is me. This is, this is who I am. And those thoughts can become like, like bars. They, they limit us. They limit what we try to do. They limit the places that we go and the things that we share and our hopes and dreams that we put into action. Thoughts are really powerful things. The Bible talks, doesn't it, about us not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's right there's a battle going on for your mind because if there are if there are bars in our minds if if there's a limitation in in our thinking that that'll stop us that'll prevent us from from going further one of the most powerful examples of this i've ever heard was a good friend bart gee who spoke here a couple of times a few years ago anybody remember when when bart preached Uh, bart was born with a um a a, a real disability that affected his mobility Uh, and when he was born, his uh, parents were told all kinds of things, and so they brought him to church and asked the minister to pray, and the minister had a prophecy for them, and the first was that one day he would walk into the church on his own, something that they'd been told he he wouldn't be able to do, and that he'd be able to play the organ, because his father was the organist uh, in the church, and again, it was uh, highly unlikely that he'd ever, ever be able to do that. And Barth tells us the story of being sat there, uh, hearing a doctor describe uh, what he should and shouldn't be able to do, and asking them, will I ever be able to walk and play the piano? Because he had this thing in his head that God had said one day he would. And the doctor looked at him with all the wisdom and sympathy that he could muster and say, it'll be very difficult for you to do those things. Now, I don't know how you respond to phrases like that, spoken by a doctor, but here's what this kid thought. He thought, "Are oh, difficult. And he said, it relates to words like hard or challenging. He says, but those words fall into the category of possible and not impossible. So unknowingly, this doctor had planted the seed in this child's mind that it was possible. And then little by little, as he grew up and, and attempted more, and I, I don't know if you were here that night and he didn't play the keyboard, but many of us were just moved to tears to listen to him playing. Absolutely incredible. Difficult, hard, challenging, but not impossible. And as soon as those bars began to wobble and come down, uh, he was able to move, move forward. These words that we read from Paul here as he writes to a church in Colossae uh, are are really about some of the fundamentals of our faith. And uh, he writes this to them. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. We're going to come back to those words later. In him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We'll look at the context in in just a moment. But first of all, I just want to highlight this. Paul says to the church, continue in Jesus. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep being encouraged. Keep encouraging one another. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep serving. Keep giving. Keep going. And he knows that one of the things that's a big barrier to keeping going uh, is this thing of our thought life. He says to it in the next breath, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He wants to highlight this thing to the church, that thoughts can take us captive, that there are philosophies, traditions, based on wisdom, based on the elemental spiritual forces of this world, or it can be translated as the basic principles uh, of this world that can take you captive, that can seem wise, can seem enticing, but actually deceptive, are actually hollow. In the um, army handbook that's given to soldiers when they go into battle, on the first page, uh, the first fight is described. Fear, before you're actually in the battle, is a normal emotional reaction. It's the last step of preparation the not knowing. This is where you'll prove you're a good soldier. That first fight, that fight with yourself, will have gone. Then you will be ready to fight the enemy. And I love those words, the first fight. And it's true, isn't it, that if you and I are going to grow in any way, the first battle is with ourselves, is getting ourselves there is is stepping up, is stepping out. If we're going to grow in our faith and say to God, God, I want to know you more, uh, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want to step out, then we have to battle with ourselves. One of the things that uh, I've encountered often uh, in the spiritual life is just this sense of no. Have you ever had that? You've heard something shared. There's real clarity and passion, and there's a little part of you that just goes... No. There's an opportunity to serve or be part of something. Part of you starts to rise towards it and think, I I could probably be part of that. I could probably have time. I could probably make space. I could probably be involved. And then that little human, no. No. See, if we're going to step out, the the first fight is is with ourselves. It's the last step in, in, in preparation. So, some context to, to these words before we dive into them a little bit more. Uh, Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, a uh, modern day Turkey, which is uh, over here. It's not a place that Paul himself had been to. Uh, Paul, uh, we read in the book of Acts, had based himself in, in Ephesus. Uh, and for about two years, finds himself in the Hall of Tyrannus, which was this sort of big debating chamber where the modern ideas of the day uh, were brought, and people came from all over the region to hear what, what their up to date thinking was. And so Paul took his belief, his message about Jesus there, uh, and kind of debates it, really. People ask him questions, and he responds. He preaches on Jesus. Sometimes there's debates. And Paul bases himself there for two years. And so many people come to hear him there that Luke is able to write that the whole region of Asia, right, or right around them, uh, hear the word of the Lord preached uh, there. And while he's there, someone called Epaphras gets saved. And he's trained by Paul and then sent by Paul to Colossae. Uh, and so Paul has not yet been to Colossae. When he writes to another uh, member of the church there, Philemon, he says, I long to come, but I haven't been able to. And as far as we know, Paul, Paul never physically got there. So he's writing to a church, and we read this in the letter, that he's heard of. Uh, he's heard of their faith, he's heard of their struggle, he's, he's heard of their ministry, and he's thrilled to hear what he's hearing about them. But he's not been there. It's Epiphras, who he calls their faithful servant, who brought the message there on, on his behalf. And so one of the things that he wants to do is to write to them and say, listen, even though I've not been there, you're still part of this. You're still part of this ministry, this mission, even though you've not heard anything from my lips. This is what Jesus is doing, and you're part of the work of God, the mission of God uh, in in the earth. Uh, And he writes to them for a, a number of reasons, and we see this popping up in the themes that he writes about. Colossae was not an easy place to be a Christian. It had been quite a major city. Uh, around Colossi, there's these two other um, cities, and uh, they're all part of this trade route. Uh, and Colossi was famous for this dark red wool that it sold. And so people came to Colossi for that, because it had lots of flocks and, uh, and, and sheep around it. Uh, but that was in the glory day. That was at the high point of their history. And eventually, things begin to slip down, and the trade dries up. And the traffic in and out of Colossae is not as great as it was. And it is not the place that it once was. And uh, work is hard to come by. And people started to ask questions of, well, why? what has happened to us? Uh, the first century world had, had loads of beliefs, loads of spiritualities, loads of religions. And people began to think, is it because we have abandoned what was an ancient belief in Colossae? Through this region flows a massive river, the river Lycos. And it kind of goes down underground just before Colossae. And t- towards the outskirts of the city, it comes back up again. And there's this huge spring there. And somewhere along the way, people had come to believe that an angel had brought this spring up in Colossae. And they believed it was the archangel Michael that had done this. And so in Colossae, there was this cult that worshipped angels. And so for this young church that was reading about angels, I mean, Michael's mentioned in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was, it was kind of tough to work out what was legitimate and what was dodgy. I mean, I, I believe in the ministry of angels. Angels are awesome, but we're never told to worship them. Actually, the Bible tells us that angels are sent to serve us. Isn't an awesome thought? There is an angel assigned to serve you. amazing I think it's amazing you guys don't but I think it's amazing (laughs) and somehow along the way in Colossae they came to believe that they should serve angels that they should worship angels and so when Paul writes to the church here uh, the, the letter is full of this high theology this high Christology he is above every power and authority why would you worship an angel When the God of the angel hosts has come to you in Jesus, when you can know him, the real cosmic Jesus that's presented in these words, some of the most fabulous words written about Jesus ever written are there in in Colossians chapter 1, above, beyond all things. You don't need angels uh, if you have Jesus. Uh, there's something else going on in Colossae and the surrounding area and there were a whole bunch of these sort of mystical religions they kind of get grouped together now and get called gnostic gnostic from the greek word gnosis which means to know and they taught that you were saved not through grace or not by faith but by knowledge and the way to get this secret knowledge was through mystical experiences and so again, as Paul writes, we get incredible words about Jesus. Uh, at one point earlier in chapter 2, he says that in Jesus, all treasures of wisdom are held. So Listen, if you know Jesus, you, you've got the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing else you need to know. There's no other experiences you need to dabble in or, or, or play around in. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. That's what you need. Uh, also in Colossae, there was a large Jewish community. And the Jews sometimes were kind of happy for people to have a messianic belief as long as they sort of fed into the Jewish way of life. And so some of them came to them and said, listen, you've got Jesus, and that's great. You, you believe in the <coughs> Old Testament prophecies about him, <coughs> but there's certain things you now need to do. You need to worship in the way that we do. You need to read the stuff that we do. You need to be circumcised. And again, Paul writes here really passionately that that's not what needs to happen, and we'll look at those words in just a moment. And so for this young church, this young Christian community meeting around tables uh, in people's homes, you can see, can't you, the confusion, the, the atmosphere, the difficulty, and the struggle. You can see why Paul writes to them, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. To live your lives in him. (coughs) Why this phrase comes up, excuse me, a few times. As you were taught. The word Lord there in this verse means sovereign. It's a, a word of supreme authority. He says you received Jesus as Lord. And just as you received him as Lord, continue in that way. Don't make him one option among many. Don't put him on the same level as these other cults and beliefs and and, and human traditions and philosophies. He's just not, if he's not supreme above all of that, then you haven't really grasped who he is. And as I read these words, it just strikes me that the letter of Colossians seems so relevant to us today. Because we're surrounded by other ways of thinking, aren't we? Some of it goes right back to this, but has got new names now and new descriptions, but not much of it has actually changed that much. We're surrounded by different ways of thinking. We're bombarded with different philosophies and and traditions, and we have to weigh up, don't we? Am I being faithful to Jesus in the way that I'm living my life, in the way that I'm responding to opportunities and challenges and, and circumstances Is there something distinctively Jesus-like about it? Or am I conforming to the ways of the world? Am I just slipping into the the patterns of thinking that I see around me? And of course, if we sit down and ask that question, it's not a difficult one to get right, is it? We can all, you know, you know the right answer. But when you stop and actually unpick it, Jesus, I, I believe that your will will be done for my life. But in other circumstances, it's my temper that gets me what I want. I believe that you know what's going to happen for me, but there's these other people who read horoscopes and talk about star signs, and that holds some, some sort of mystical power. I believe that you'll provide for me, but just occasionally, I might want to invest, I might want to gamble, I might want to hold back what, what I give you just so that I know that I'm, I'm safe. Sometimes it doesn't come disguised as another religion or another belief, but just as a as a philosophy, as a tradition that we slip into. Continue to live your life in him. I remember when um, I went to university, one of the things I had to do was learn how to cook. And I'm not sure how well I learned how to cook in university. And one of my staple dishes was something called pasta surprise. I don't have to say any more than that, really, do I? The surprise was that whatever went in the pasta, what was ever left in the cupboard. And so you haven't really been a student unless you've tried pasta and baked beans. It's try it. When you go home today, forget what you've got in the oven. Go and make some... Daniel's nodding. Go, go and make some pasta uh, and baked beans. And some things work together okay. Some things don't work together Okay. And sometimes we try to do that, that we 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 take a little bit of this and we take a little bit of that and we try and mix it together. We take those bits of Jesus' message that really apply, that are really relevant, that we really respond to. And then there's other things which are more challenging and difficult, so we don't tend to think about those. And then there's those things that we were brought up to believe and we add those into the mix. And sometimes it can be a really strange flavor just Jesus, Paul says. That's all we need. And so to kind of help the church to kind of secure them, Paul does what he always does. He takes them back to Jesus. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Everything you need for life and godliness is in Jesus. It's all there for you, he says, in Jesus. Uh, There was a hymn I was trying to remember. Some of you will know which one it's from, but it's a Charles Wesley hymn. And he says, um, I'm going to forget it now again. See, this is why you should have notes. Um, uh, For Christ you are all to me, and more than all in thee I find. I love that. More than all in thee I find. That's what Paul's writing about here. And he says, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, one of the ways in which we describe being a Christian today uh, is I've got Jesus living within me. Have you heard people talk about that? Jesus has come to live in my heart. And that language is not absent from the New Testament. There's a a truth that Christ dwells in us by his spirit. But the way that Paul describes us is actually fundamentally different. His favorite phrase is that you are in Christ which is massively different. Yes, Jesus lives in us, and there's a sense of, of mutual indwelling here, but Paul is so passionate about this. In him, you've been given fullness. There's a difference, isn't there, between trying to accommodate Jesus and saying, could you come and live in this little core of my life? And It kind of <coughs> requires him to shrink down, doesn't it, to our way, to uh, our lifestyle pattern, to our thinking. Fundamentally different to say, I'm going to live my life in you. And Paul says when we do that, there's fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh or the human nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. He takes this young church with all these philosophies and ideas flying around them back to their baptism. It says, in baptism, there's this tremendous picture, buried and raised. Buried and raised. There's an assumption there, isn't there? that all the church have been baptized. I mean, it'd be a funny thing to say if it was something that only happened for a few people. And again, in our day, we, we tend to think of, <coughs> of baptism as something, something that happens a bit later on, don't we? And once we've had a chance to think about it and discuss it and, and debate it, it almost becomes something that happens uh, further on down the line. But in the early church, it was like the starting line. It wasn't something that you did because you'd graduated from a course or understood something. It's something that you did to say, I'm, I'm joining this journey. Uh, I'm beginning this journey in Jesus. You didn't do it because you were perfect. Uh, you did it because you knew you weren't perfect and that only Jesus could forgive you. So he says, you were baptized. And there's this tremendous way he describes it. Buried with him in baptism. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but back in the first century, it must have been such an odd thing to see this group of people walk down to a river, stand around, and then someone go out into the river with somebody from the church and be pushed under the water and held under the water. It must have looked like drowning, right? It's a a violent thing to do to somebody. And in a sense, it is a drowning, buried with him. In Romans, Paul describes it this way in baptism, that we were buried with Christ, buried, baptized into his death. That as Jesus dies on the cross and opens up his arms to embrace the judgment, the price for sin, in baptism, it's saying yes to that. Here in our baptism pool, there's, there's a cross that's been painted uh, on the floor. And as you're laid down, you, you're laid on the cross, as we're going to see next weekend as Alex uh, gets baptized. Uh, a laying down of the old life and including of my past, my shame, my, my nature into the death of Jesus, being included. Uh, the word for baptism literally means immersed. It means to be plunged into something, to be submerged under something. And that's really what baptism is all about. It's not about taking the bits of Jesus that we like or the bits of the Bible that that, that we quite fancy and, 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 and mixing it in. It's saying, I want to be immersed. I want to be plunged. I want to give myself. It's it's not about taking a peek. It's about taking a plunge into Jesus, buried with him in baptism. But, of course, we don't keep you, Alex. We don't keep you under the water too long, I promise you. (laughs) Raised with him. Baptism is not just about your past. It's about being raised. And Paul tells us really clearly here, it's not about the baptism itself, it's not the action, it's not the water, it's your faith in God who raised Jesus from the dead. But here's the phrase, not just raised out of the water, raised with him, with Jesus' resurrection power at work in our bodies, the part of us that was dead to God, Not even aware of his presence, now alert to his will for us, his passion for us, his voice uh, in our lives raised with him. I love these words, through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul links our resurrection with Jesus. If you believe that God has done it for Jesus, believe that God will do it for you because you were raised with him. In Ephesians, Paul talks more about this being in Christ, and he describes it as being seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's, that's how Jesus sees you. That's as, as far as God is concerned, that is how he sees you. So for, for some of us here today, maybe you've never been baptized, and it's a great time, a, a week before next Sunday, to be thinking about it. Maybe there is that sense of the first fight. Maybe you've got to talk yourself and encourage yourself uh, into it. All I know is that it's this rendezvous point where Christ meets us in power. For others of us today, maybe we have been baptized. Maybe we're thinking today about our baptism. One of the classic things that people often say is, I wish I'd waited longer. I wish I'd understood more about it. Years and years ago, I went to a minister's conference. And the best thing about this conference was the breakfast. The breakfast was was absolutely (laughs) amazing. And when we went into the the dining room, there was a place where we sat and someone came over and took our orders and said, how much bacon do you want? And I kept them there quite a while telling them what I wanted for, for breakfast. And then there was this other little room off to the side, and some people didn't seem to have much for breakfast, but went off into this room and came out with muffins and fruit and yoghurt. So am I making anyone hungry? I didn't mean to do that. And I was sort of sat there thinking, I wonder what you've got to do to get the stuff from that room. And I remember on the last morning of the conference, saying to somebody who's now a very close friend, Chris, um, what have you got to pay to go and get the stuff from that room? And he said to me words that I will never forget as long as I live. That's included in the price. You can you can go and you can go and get that. Two mornings I'd wasted not knowing it. So we were a bit late for the morning session. They just just sort of ransacking that room of any muffins and fruit that was left uh, in it. And I wonder if for some of us today, as we look back on our baptism, God wants to tell you. This was all included in your baptism. Be excited about what he's already given you. Sometimes we look at others, don't we, and think, I wish I could have their faith. I wish I could have their story. I wish I could have their, their gifting or their anointing. When God tells us, in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity dwells, and you have been brought to fullness. You have more than enough. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. I'd love us just to pause this morning to pray together and for us just to give a moment for (coughs) for the Spirit to minister this to us today. So just where you are, I just encourage you just to pause, to open your heart to God. If it's symbolically, if it's easy to do this for you, just maybe open your hands and be in a posture to receive. And Holy Spirit, I want to pray that you would highlight areas of our lives where our thinking has become a prison. Where we're caught, where we're trapped by a hollow philosophy or an idea or a phrase or a label. And I pray that you'd come and reshape our thinking today. Renew our minds, we pray, Lord Jesus. Lord, if there's something that we are blind to, something that you've given us that we've not realized, that we've not seen, would you open the eyes of our hearts? And Lord, I thank you that we cannot exhaust your resources. your love endures, that your grace is sufficient, that you give your spirit without measure. The calling of God is, is without repentance. And so Lord help us today to drink deeply, to draw deeply on all that you've given us. All that is already ours in Jesus. And would you bring us today, Lord Jesus, to that point of surrender? That point of laying down.